in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Here's the key section. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from, from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Let's, uh, let's pray together uh, this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, gather here this morning and to um, honor moms and also honor uh, the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for each uh, mom that has influenced our life. And Lord, we honor them today and bless them. And Lord, we uh, thank you for um, each one that has uh, poured their lives into our lives. And Lord, we thank you for them today. Lord, we pray for some in our church family that um, need our prayers and encouragement. Lord, for many other needs that are here today, um, Lord, we lift them up to you, and we will thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to uh, think about some biblical principles of parenting, and, and this morning you might think, well, uh, <clears throat> who's this message for? So let me just lay it out. This message is for every person that potentially will be a parent someday. And this message is for people who are parents right now. This message is also for some grandparents that will help you to think about investing and building into the life of your grandchildren. Uh, This message um, will uh, encourage encourage those. Um, And so we want to think about uh, also this message is for those that um, might want to just impact the next generation for Christ. And... uh, I think that really includes all of us. So we want to think about biblical principles of parenting, how to leave a legacy. It was poet William Ross Wallace, 1865. The hand that rocks the cradle, the hand that rocks the cradle is his poem, Rules the World. It's talking about the tremendous impact, influence that mothers have in the lives of individuals and their offspring. And so we just want to again say thank you to, to moms that are here and honor you and bless you today for um, your investment into the lives of children. Our introduction, we want to think about the paradox and then the problem. And then we're going to look at four principles of parenting. The paradox and the problem. Here's the paradox. Our children and grandchildren have the potential to bring us great joy in life, but also great sorrow and great pain. Let me, let me say that paradox again. Our children and grandchildren have the potential to bring great joy and blessing in our lives, but also great pain and great anguish and sorrow. I'm thinking about the mother of Jesus, Mary. And remember that the angel Gabriel came to Mary and appeared to her and said, Blessed are you, Mary, amongst all women. You will be the mother of Jesus the Messiah. 
What an honor and what a blessing. But in the very next chapter in Luke chapter 2, when Mary and Joseph brings, bring Jesus to the temple to, to dedicate him to the Lord, and there's a prophet there by the name of Simeon, and he speaks a blessing to Mary. But in uh, the end of that blessing that he speaks to Mary, he shares these words with the mother of Jesus. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary, you have been honored and blessed to be the mother of Jesus, but guess what? That experience is going to bring pain into your life. It's going to be like putting a sword into your heart. And of course, that's the reference to the crucifixion. That Mary someday would stand and watch her son die a horrific death, death by crucifixion. Well, that's the paradox of parenting and grandparenting. There's great potential for blessing. There's also great potential for pain. Here's the problem when it comes to parenting. Um, when, when you prepare for the work environment, when you prepare for a career, you go through a lot of training. Something we've been trying to explain to our, 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 our grandkids, you know, first grade, second grade. Yeah, you got a long way to go, guys. How long? Yeah. It's, it's 13 years to get to high school graduation. And then you either go into a, a maybe a vocation or a trade school and you become an apprentice, a journeyman, or uh, reach that master level. Or maybe you go to college and you train for four more years. And depending on your profession, you may train for more years beyond that. There's an incredible amount of preparation and training for a career. Think about a driver's license. Probably about... I don't know, 15 years ago, Michigan went to a graduated license. And so they, they started uh, earlier than they used to. And at 14 years, nine months, you can start driver's training. And so you go to classes and you eventually begin to get behind the wheel of a car and you get a learner's permit. And then you have to have all this driving time with, with an adult driver and, and log all that time. And then finally you turn 16 and you get a restricted license you can drive, but under these restrictions, it isn't until 17 that you get a full license. Two years, three months of training. The problem with parenting is that there's no formal training for parenting. (laughs) If I ask the question... I'm not talking about childbirth classes because some of us went through that. That's the birthing the child. But for parenting, did anybody here have any parenting classes? Most people don't. Um, <clears throat> as I thought about that question, I, I, I did reflect, and, and this is probably, um, I'm in the minority here, but I went to Cedarville University in Ohio a long, long time ago, and um, my freshman year, there was a class that was required to take this class, so you couldn't get around it. It was called Marriage and the Family. And it was a, a 10-week course. Uh, I remember it. Um, Dr. Cleveland McDonald was the professor. And we spent 10 weeks talking about marriage and about uh, parenting and family life and what God's plan was for that. 
But uh, that class has is long been gone by the wayside. People don't have classes for parenting. By the way, uh, part of our Acts 1-8 project is War International, a tremendous ministry out of uh, the Grand Rapids area. Uh, the founder and the president of War International, and um, <clears throat> Lord, Lord willing, based on your authorization, we're going to have a big celebration Sunday, June 13th. Uh, Becky McDonald, along with many other um, people, will be here that Sunday. Uh, Becky McDonald is the daughter-in-law of Dr. Cleveland McDonald, who taught that marriage and the family class. And uh, and so, um, interesting, long-time connection there. Well, that's uh, that's the paradox and uh, and the problem. And uh, thank thank God that there are some um, <clears throat> ministries that uh, that help in this area. I was just thinking about David and Kelly Kaiser, our friends that started a ministry called Mosaic Ministry. They work in South Toledo, Ohio. They work in the zip code in Toledo that is the poorest, most depressed economically zip code in all of Toledo. And a number of years ago, we uh, we, we partnered with uh, David and Kelly Kaiser, and some of you may remember this, we asked you to bring boxes of diapers, uh, pampers, disposable diapers. And we took a, a couple carloads of diapers down to Mosaic Ministries. Like, why would you take diapers down to Mosaic Ministries in South Toledo? Because they have something called Baby University. They've been doing it for years. And so they bring, they bring uh, people in, most of them single parents, who have no clue about what to do with a baby or what parenting is like. And for 13 weeks, they do a class every Saturday. And their incentive to come is that they give away pampers and diapers to get them to keep coming so that they can have some sort of clue about parenting. Well, I'm thankful that um, there is an instruction manual for parenting. And it's called the Bible. And so God doesn't just give us the way to heaven in salvation in the Bible. It, it talks to us about parenting. And so this morning, <clears throat> we're going to look at four basic principles of, of parenting. <clears throat> so let's jump into this. Here's, uh, here's principle number one, four principles of parenting. And it's from Psalm 100, and it's the ownership principle. Here's that familiar psalm. The psalmist starts out by uh, exhorting us to shout for joy to the Lord, worship the Lord with gladness, come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us, and we are his. Ah, the psalmist tells us God has a claim on our life. It's a creative claim because he is the one who made us. Psalm 139 talks about that. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. It goes on to say we're also his people, the sheep of his pasture. Not only does God have a <coughs> creative claim on our life, excuse me, but a redemptive claim. We're his sheep. He's bought us back from the marketplace of sin. And so, God owns us. God owns our children. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6, 
He says, don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are not your own. And so, the first principle is the steward, is the ownership principle. That God owns everything and God blesses us with children, but they don't belong to us. We're the stewards. Someone once mentioned to me years ago the 216 principle, and I said, what's the 216 principle? It's like, it's this. You have 216 months <clears throat> from birth to age uh, 18. Um, to, to launch those kids and invest in them. And so we have this a stewardship opportunity. Remember the story of Hannah? You know, Han, Hannah, uh, and, and from the book of Samuel, and, and uh, she was childless, and she um, was in agony, and she's in the tabernacle uh, praying, and she prays uh, and asks God to bless her with a child. And, and she says, if you do, I will give him to you all the days of his life. And so God blessed uh, Hannah with a son. His name is Samuel. means asked of God. And when Samuel was weaned, which in that culture would have been about four years old, Hannah took him to the, the tabernacle and, and left him there, and he served under the tutelage of the priest Eli. Now God doesn't ask us to drop off our four-year-olds at... Uh, uh, some place to have someone else raise them, but the principle is there that that uh, we need to make that transfer of ownership in our hearts, don't we? That our children do not belong to us. By the way, Samuel turned out, out to be a great prophet for God. By the way, Hannah's grandchildren did not turn out very well. They did not have a heart for God. So the first principle is to realize and recognize that, that God owns it all. And 1 Corinthians 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. Everything we have is a gift from God. Well, the second principle that we want to think about is the purpose principle. The purpose principle. This is a question that most parents don't think about. And to be honest, I don't know if Diane and I gave a whole lot of in-depth thought. But the question is significant. What is the purpose of parenting? Oh, why, why have, why have children? Gary Thomas in his book Sacred Parenting asks that question. This is what he writes. Most of us have children for superficial reasons. Some single young women tell crisis pregnancy center counselors that they want to get pregnant to create someone who would love them. Some men think it's important to carry on the family name. Other couples have children because little babies seem so cute. Still others get lost on the desire to create another human being who looks just like the two of them combined. A few others may even think having a baby will save a lonely marriage. Bad idea. <laughs> so why have parenting? He goes on to say, we need something more concrete, something more eternal to see us through the challenges of parenting. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Psalm 78, instruct us not only to love the Lord our God with all our heart, 
but we are to raise children who will love God and obey His truth. In other words, having kids isn't about us, it's about God. We are called to bear and raise children for the glory of God. That's the purpose of having children. I've quoted many times the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's a series of about 160 questions. Question number one, what is the chief purpose of man? Why are we here? What's the goal? What's the, what's the target? And the answer is that the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so, parenting is not about us. It's about raising children for the glory of God. So the question becomes, how do you define success in parenting? I didn't discover a really good answer until about 15 years ago, at least one that I thought was a good answer, until I came across some material by uh, Chip Ingram, used to be uh, president of Walk Through the Bible Ministries and, and now pastors a church out in California. He wrote a book entitled Effective Parenting in a Defective World. And here's his definition of, of the target, the goal for parenting. Success in parenting is when our children transfer their primary love, submission, and obedience from us as parents to Jesus Christ. Oh, that's the goal. That we want to train these children and initially what their, their, their trust and their love and their obedience is to, to mom and dad, but gradually before we launch them out of the nest because we're not going to be able to uh, follow them around the rest of their lives as much as we'd want to. Maybe we don't want to. But ultimately the goal is that we transfer that to Jesus. And now their allegiance and primary love and submission and obedience goes from us to Jesus Christ. Most of you know, Diane and I spend a lot of time with two of our four grandchildren. Um, see them on almost a daily basis and, and Diane cares for them after school for about, uh, usually about a period of about four hours, eat meals with them most every uh, weekday. So a very close relationship with them and um, had opportunities to try to build into their lives. And so oftentimes uh, when they're leaving, Diane sometimes will have these little sayings that, uh, like, well, I-, I love you to the moon and back. And, and uh, sometimes Andrew or Shane, most, mostly Andrew, um, sometimes Shane or Luke, I'm getting my kids mixed up with our grandkids. Uh, sometimes uh, Shane or Luke will say, well, I love you more just this week. They're leaving and are given words of love and encouragement. And Luke, uh, who's six years old in first grade, grade, turns around and says, I love you right next to God, he says. Love you right next to God. And I said, well, I love you next to God with just this much space. He goes, I love you next to God with no space in between. I think maybe he, he he's beginning to get the concept a little bit that what God's got to be in first place in our life, and so that's that's the goal of parenting. Dr. Rob Rhinell, who uh, with his wife Amy, they have seven children. Um, 
probably about 15 years ago, they started a ministry, and they go all over the United States and really all over the world, called Visionary Parenting. I encourage you to look it up on uh, on the Internet. There's great material, great resources there. Visionary Parenting, Dr. Rob Rhinow. I'll tell you Rob's story real quick because I've heard it many times. Rob was a a youth pastor at a very large church um, in a Chicago suburb of, 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 uh, I think it was... um, Wheaton or Glen Ellen, not quite sure, but some somewhere in in the Chicago area, and uh, and he was very very busy uh, ministering to the uh, the kids of of the teenagers, the people in the church, and was pouring his life into their lives. But as he would admit, maybe neglecting his own family. So he's at the church one day, and he's walking through the um, by the offices in the hallway, and his um, wife is there, and some of his kids are there, and uh, his four-year-old son to him turns around and asks him the question. Said to him, "Daddy, is this where you live?" Rob says, "I can remember the the square footage of carpet where I was standing when he asked me that question. It was like a knife in my heart." And that set Rob on a discovery and a prayerful discovery to to realize that while he was pouring into the life of the kids, he was neglecting his own family, so they started visionary parenting. And now he travels all around the United States, gives seminars on parenting, always takes along one of his one of his um, kids with him, and uh, God has has really blessed that ministry. But here, here's a question that he, he asked, and it has to do with priorities in, in parenting. Uh, he asked this question at most of his se- uh, seminars. When your child leaves your home at the age of 18, 25, 30, or 35, or whenever they leave, when your child leaves your home, which of the following would you most desire for them? You can only choose one. Which of the following would you most desire of them? Number one, a Division I sports scholarship. Number two, a high IQ and get accepted to an Ivy League school. Number three, to be popular and liked by everyone. Number four, to be a person of faith and character. And we're thinking, I would like all of the above. Well, that's not an that's not an option. There's no uh, number five here. If you could only choose one, which one would it be? And Rob says strongly, it should be number four, because you can have an high IQ and be very smart, and also have an evil heart. Uh, and so, uh, a person of faith and character, and that's where. Uh, we need to channel our focus and our priorities. Well, how do you do that? Um, and I'm just going to take just a couple minutes and before we get to number three and just think about three, three passages. How do you, how do you, um, put this all into practice of transferring primary love, submission, obedience from us to Jesus Christ? And there's some helps in the scripture. Here's, here's, uh, I'm going to point us to three passages. The first one, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 through 7. <clears throat> This is called the Shema. The Hebrew uh, culture families would have repeated this on a daily basis. 
It's called the Shema because it starts out with the word in Hebrew here, which is the Hebrew word Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. How does this process take place? The first key word is talk. <laughs> and, and, and the scriptures say, we need to talk to our children. But before we do that, first of all, he says, God's truth has to be in our heart. You can't pass on what you don't possess. So if you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, you can't pass on to your kids. That's step number one. But then he says, you need to talk to your kids. Talk to them about God. And he gives us four teachable moments. Talk about them when you sit at home. Mealtime. I don't know if families still have mealtime or not together. We, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Everybody's got different schedules. Everybody's got busyness and activities going on. But mealtime is a, is a key time to, to gather together as a family and, and to try to carve out at least a few nights during the week when we're, we're, we're together and we're eating together and we're sharing life together and we're talking together. We might even talk about God. I grew up in a pastor's home. We had a little box called our, it was called our daily bread. The lid was in the shape of a loaf of bread. Take off the lid and there are Bible verses in there on little cards and, you know, after dinner, not every night, but, um, the nights we could, my uh, dad would take out one and he'd read it, would talk about it just for a few minutes. And when we got old enough to read, we'd, we'd, we'd read them and just share and have a word of prayer and go on. Uh, Dr. Rob Rhino in his research says visionary parenting, um, the number of families that have any time similar to that in today's culture, and this is, this is, this is Christian families, 4%. 4% of families would do that. I don't know. And a semi-regular basis, but that's a that's a key time to, to pass on truth. So so talk talk about um, God's truth when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. Um, that's traveling. We didn't have cars. We have cars and other vehicles of transportation today. But when you're traveling, and being together on a on a long trip, extended trip in a car is a good opportunity to to, to use that time to to talk. Remember when uh, we were driving our kids from Chelsea to Adrian, Lenaway Christian, um, doing a lot of time on the road. It was 32 miles one way, and for a while, Diane, mostly Diane, was doing 128 miles a day, taking our kids to Lenaway Christian and bringing them back. I remember one day we were down at a school event, and uh, the middle school principal's name was uh, Mr. Howard, and, and I was kind of feeling sorry for myself and complaining, like talking about... Talking about, you know, how long of a trip that is. And, and he's like, you know what? You need to think uh, in a positive way about that. You have like 35 or 40 minutes of captured time with your child. And so use that time to interact with them and talk to them about their day and how they're doing. What's going on in their life? Now in the morning they were sleeping most of the time. But in the afternoon <laughs> I think there was some good talk times there. And so talk about God. What, when, you, when you sit down, when you walk along the road, it goes on to say when you lie down and when you get up. 
Now, in the uh, uh, culture of the Old Testament and Jewish times, um, their day started in the evening. If you look in Genesis, it says evening and morning were the first day. So in the Jewish mindset, the day starts at sunset. We do the opposite. That's why it's, it says when you lie down and when you get up. And so bedtime's a key time, especially with younger children, to have that connection time as well as morning time. Well, there's a couple other uh, passages. I'm, I'm going to just s- skip the second one. Ephesians 6.4 is, is a great admonition to, to, to parents about training their children and teaching their children. Uh, um, but Nehemiah 6 is an interesting passage as well. And so if uh, Deuteronomy 6 is talk, and Ephesians 6, the key word there is train, Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, the key word or phrase there would be tell others no. Tell others no. And you might say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me, let me explain. And um, some of the guys that journeyed with our uh, Bible, men's Bible study that we did uh, about three or four months ago uh, might remember this uh, passage here with Andy Stanley, guardrails. And his wife Sandra gave a short talk in one of our sessions and she referred to Nehemiah chapter 6. What's Nehemiah chapter 6 about? Nehemiah is building the wall. And they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and Nehemiah has some enemies that don't want that project done. And they're criticizing him and trying to distract him and Nehemiah is trying to stay focused on what he believes God has called him to do, which is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And by the way, they, they did it in 52 days. So there's some, some enemies that are trying to distract him. And uh, got some funny names here, Nehemiah 6.2. Sambalat and Geshem sent Nehemiah this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So you want him to stop what he's doing and, and go and, and meet with the, these, uh, these individuals that were really kind of a thorn in his side. And when they said, come meet in the plain of Oh No, Nehemiah said, Oh No, I'm not going to do it. In fact, they asked him five times and every time they said, come meet in Oh No, Nehemiah said, Oh No, not going to do it. But here's the verse. Um, that he, how he responded. He's, he sends messengers back to him in Nehemiah 6.3. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah said, I, I don't have time to meet with you because guess what? I'm doing a great project that God's called me to do. Now, when we looked at our video series, and and Andy Stanley's wife, Sarah, related that to a time in her life when she had three young children, and she had all sorts of people uh, pressing for her time, wanting to get her involved in this, wanting her to get involved in that, and she came across this verse, and uh, when someone would ask her to do something, and and it might have been a good thing, as much as maybe maybe she wanted to, she would respond, and sometimes she would say, I would even quote Nehemiah 6.4. And she would say to them, I can't do that because I'm doing a great work. And what was that great work? I'm investing into the lives of my children. 
And there may be a time down the road where I'll have more time and I'll be free to do that, but right now my priority is focusing on the blessing of my children. Well, there's a third principle, and we'll go through these next two very quickly here. The ownership principle, the purpose principle, the uh, the partnership principle. The, the partnership principle. This basically says that God has given us some tools. Uh, we, we read Psalm 127, verse, uh, uh, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain. Basically saying, don't try to do this alone. God's given us some resources to help us in parenting and grandparenting. Don't try to go solo. I remember when our first uh, son was born, June 2nd, 1980. Nye and I were um, living in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was going to seminary and uh, Diane was working. And um, I eventually got a part-time job, tried to make ends meet. But our first, uh, our first son was born. Leading up to that birth, though, and I've told this story before, uh, but we were in Grand Rapids, my mother-in-law and, and my father. Um, so Diane's parents and my dad lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana. My, my dad was on the board of Cornerstone University, so three or four times a year, he would take a trip from Fort Wayne and come up to Grand Rapids to attend a board meeting. He would usually stay with us and then return home. When it was getting close to birth time, or Diane's due date, I remember we were expecting my dad to come up for a board meeting and um, saw a car pull into the driveway and uh, noticed my dad getting out, but... I also, uh, we also noticed, and I'm looking out the window, I says, dear, your, your, your mom's with him. And we didn't know she was coming. And then I'm like, your mom's getting suitcases out of the car. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm not quite sure what's going on, but she was so excited. That, so she, you know, she decided to come up because we were getting near the due date. My dad went back to Fort Wayne, um, you know, after his meeting. And my mother-in-law was with us, and our first son was two and a half to three weeks overdue. (laughs) So she was with us for three weeks before the baby was born, but not the three weeks after the baby was born, (laughs) when we needed her. Oh, man. I remember... I, she she did stay for a day or two after the, after he was born, but I remember when she left, and she's driving away, and Diane and I are looking at this little, you know, little crying baby, and we're like, I have we have no clue what to do, and we didn't live near our parents, and we were like, I, we, I, we were like feeling like really alone and lost. Well, what we need to remember, what we needed to remember is that God's not left us alone. I don't care what your parenting dynamics are, whether single parent or whatever your family dynamics are. God has given us some resources and, and the first resource is, is God. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Second Corinthians 6, 1 says, we're God's co-workers with Him. And if there's any project 
focus where we need to be co-workers with God and, and, and experience Him as not only the center part of our marriage, but in our parenting. It's, it's in this matter of child raising. So God has given us resources. God is the first one. God's Word is the second one. It is a training manual for children. 2 Timothy 3. The Apostle Paul writes to, uh, to, to, to Timothy. And he says, but as for you, in what you have learned, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Stay the course, Timothy. Earlier, he, he talks about two individuals that built spiritually into his life. And it happened to be his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. He had a mom and a grandmother who, who built into him spiritually. Verse 15, Timothy, how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. You've known God's Word from... The word is brephos, which means from a baby. God's Word being poured into the life of a child. And so, we have a, a manual, a, a guidebook. Uh, Psalm 119. Uh, the psalmist writes these words. How can a young person stay on the right path? By living according to God's Word. I will seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Go to the book of Proverbs. The first ten chapters is what? A father talking to a son. My son. My son. My son. And so it's building God's truth. That's that's another resource. Um, resource of God. The resource of God's Word. The resource of the church. Now, church is here to help. Not the, the primary responsibility for teaching uh, children truth is at the doorstep of the home, but God's provided the church to help. And so, partnering with the church and and ministries um, like an Awana ministry and the various children's ministry, God's given us resources. It's God. It's God's word. It's it's the church. Um, it's the resource of prayer. James chapter 5, verse 16, uh, talking about um, Elijah. And James 5.16 talks about the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so one of the things that having children and grandchildren should do in our life is that it should, um, should beef up our prayer life. It should it, it should uh, point us to being a prayer warrior. And if we're not going to pray for our kids, if we're not going to pray for our grandkids, who's going to do it? I've been so blessed because my dad passed away in August of of last year. My my mom eventually passed on some some journals that he he kept, and he journaled every day. I've recently been going through them. And uh, my dad always had um, very hard-to-read handwriting, but as he got older in the last 10 years of his life, he died at 91, his handwriting became like trying to write Chinese, read Chinese. I mean, and so I'm, I'm wanting to read these journals, and I'm, I can only make out about 30% of it, so it's a little bit frustrating. But one thing I found in my dad's journal was a list of the days of the week. And they had 17 grandchildren. 
had six children and their spouses. And uh, there, there it was. Monday, I'm praying for this grandchild, this grandchild, this grandchild. Tuesday, I'm praying for this, this family member, this family member, this family member. And I read that like, wow. I had a dad that not just talked about prayer. But till his dying day, he was praying. What a great resource um, that God has given us. All right, last principle is this, and then we're done. Uh, it's, it's the modeling principle. The modeling principle. Uh, so the ownership principle, the purpose principle, the partnership principle. The modeling principle basically says more is caught than taught. Uh, that, that when we become a parent, we move into the modeling business. Because guess what? Those guys are watching us. Those ears are listening all the time. And so Paul writes in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 9, to the church there at Philippi. He says, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. So Paul said, what you've heard me teach, but what you've also seen me live out, that's what I want you to do. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so one of the greatest tools, one of the greatest principles we have is to, I'm not going to be perfect, we're all going to make mistakes, we're all going to blow it at times, but... uh, Thank God for forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. But basically, we're we're to model um, a life that we want our kids to have. So if we want them to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're going to have to. If we want them to be a kind, patient person, we're going to have to be kind and patient. You want them to learn to tell others about Jesus? We're going to have to model that. And, and and so we're we're in the model being business. You want to be a forgiving person? We need to forgive. I mentioned this book, Sacred Parenting. I'll, I'll close. I'll close with this uh, by Gary Thomas. Uh, one of the chapters he he wrote this story, and I think it's 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 a powerful truth about modeling. Listen, listen to this, and and then we'll wrap this up. One day, when our daughter Kelsey was two years old. She started pointing at every family member's chair around the table. I was gone at the time, the dad, Gary. Mommy, she began. Allison, Graham, Kelsey. She then pointed to my empty seat and said, God. <laughs> that's not God, Kelsey, Lisa, my wife said. That's, that's Papa. Jesus, Kelsey responded with a smile. Three days later, all of us were together in a hotel room when Kelsey did it again. She started pointing to everybody, announcing their names, and when she got to me, she said, Jesus! I'm not Jesus, Kelsey. I'm your Papa. Your Papa God, Kelsey said. I was flabbergasted and earnestly tried to talk it out with her, but you parents know what a two-year-old is like. By the time I had made my point, Kelsey had found something vastly more interesting than theology, her little toe, and how it was made to wiggle in all directions. 
But those early episodes of mistaken identity truly opened my eyes as a young parent. The more time I spent with my kids as they became toddlers and then preteens and then teens, the more they seemed to, the more open they seemed to God's presence in their lives. The less time I spent with them, the less they seemed to pray. The observation both sobered and humbled me. Somehow in their minds, I had helped shape their passion and hunger for God. That's a pretty powerful illustration of what um, that modeling principle is about. That a two-year-old points to her dad and says, You're Papa God. And that relationship and that modeling relationship and that love relationship introduces them to their relationship with God, their Father. Well, biblical principles for leaving a lasting legacy, just some quick questions to consider. Uh, ownership principle. Um, have I consciously and purposefully transferred ownership of my children, great-grandchildren, and grandchildren to God? Have I ever done that? I ever consciously prayed and said, God, thank you for the blessing of these children and these grandchildren, but they don't belong to me. They belong to you and help me to be a good steward of my time with them. And after all, God, you love them more than I do. The purpose principle. Have I ever, have I ever written down, have I ever kind of defined, um, you know, what, what is this goal of parenting? And if you haven't done that, it's a good at least conversation to have. What is the target? And um, God gives us the, the, the target. Um, am I utilizing the resources that God has given to us as parents? Or am I trying to fly solo? Do I realize that God wants to be involved in this process? And I've got a, a manual that, that can help me with, with building truth into the life of the next generations. And it's God's truth and it's God's word. And I can partner with a church and we can encourage one another and pray for one another and build into each other's lives and we can pray diligently for each of our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And lastly, does my life reflect the character traits that I want to build into the life of the next generation? Uh, Do I I want my kids and grandkids not only to to do what I do, but to, to think like I think, and, and what, what kind of a role model am I? And um, that's, that's an important question to ask. Well, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for all of you um, that are um, in the trenches of parenting, grandparenting, great-grandparenting, um, some of you that um, this is... Uh, this is your future. You're going to be involved in uh, in raising kids, and uh, you need God's help. So let's uh, let's 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 pray, and I will pray for each and every one of you. Lord, I thank you for every um, mom, especially that is here, every grandmother that is here. Lord, what a what a blessing that is! What a privileged role that is! The, truly, the the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Lord, I I um, uh, think about the challenge. In today's culture, in today's world, which has drastically changed since we raised our kids, the, the, the challenge of raising kids in today's world. And Lord, I pray for every um, grandparent here, every parent here, every future parent here. 
Lord, thank you that you've not left us alone in this process. Lord, help us to, to partnership with you. Lord, help us to partner and uh, with God's truth and God's word and let that be the, the lamp that guides our pathway of life. Lord, help us to be a role model for our kids. No one's going to do it perfectly, but Lord, help, help uh, us to realize the, the great uh, potential influence that we have to influence them for good and your glory. And Lord, may you give us the grace and strength to do that. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to be prayer warriors. Lord, I pray for every um, child, uh, grandchild, great-grandchild that's represented in the midst of our group here this morning. Lord, uh, that number would number in the hundreds. Lord, may they walk with you. May they live their lives for you. May uh, God's truth uh, fill their hearts and lives. May we have a um, uh, continued influence on their lives until you call us home to glory. And we will thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.